Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am so glad you're here. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. Today's interview is with Alexis Pauling Gums. I've known Alexis for over a decade and am so excited to share this interview with you. Alexis Pauling Gums is a queer Black troublemaker and Black feminist love evangelist and an aspirational cousin to all sentient beings. Her work in this lifetime is to facilitate infinite, unstoppable ancestral love and practice. Her poetic work in response to the needs of her cherished communities has held space for multitudes in mourning and movement. Alexis's co-edited volume, Revolutionary Mothering, Love on the Front Lines, has shifted the conversation on mothering, parenting, and queer transformation. Alexis has transformed the scope of intellectual, creative, and oracular writing with her triptych of experimental works published by Duke University. Unlike most academic texts, Alexis's work has inspired artists across form to create dance works, installation work, paintings, processionals, divination practices, operas, quilts, and more. Alexis is the founder of Brilliance Remastered, an online network and series of retreats and online intensives serving community-accountable intellectuals and artists in the legacies of Audre Lorde's profound statement, In the Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle the Master's House, that the preceding statement is only threatening to those who still think of the master's house as their only source of support. Through retreats on ancestor accountable intellectual practice and online courses on topics from anger as a resource to transitional intellectual solidarity, Alexis and her Brilliance Remastered collaborators have nurtured a community of thinkers and artists grounded in the resources that normative institutions ignore. Alexis's poetry and fiction appears in many creative writing journals and has been honored with inclusion in Best American Experimental Writing, a Pushcart Prize nomination, and honors from the Lucille Clifton Poetry Prize and the Firefly Ridge Women of Color Award. She has been poet-in-residence at Makeshift Magazine and is currently creative writing editor at Feminist Studies. Her newest book, Undrowned, Black Feminist Lessons from Marine Mammals, is a series of meditations based on the increasingly relevant lessons of marine mammals in a world with rising ocean levels and part of Adrienne Marie Brown's Emergent Strategy series at AK Press. There is so much in this interview. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Alexis. We just said hello to each other, but hello again. Hello again. I'm so happy to be with you. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for for saying yes to being here and being in conversation with me. Oh, it's an honor. It's an honor. Thank you. Mm -hmm. As I was preparing for today's conversation, I was thinking back to when we met. And I feel like the first time I met you was when I was working at the Rape Crisis Center in um, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I remember you like drew, uh, I think you drew with all these different colored pens as we were talking, or you 
I think it was a drawing. It wasn't a collage because you did, but it, well, it was, it was both, you know, okay. so I made you a, I made a collage about you or for you. And then I wrote in different colored markers on top of the collage while I was listening to you. Yes. Yeah. That's I forgot that was the first way we met. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And I was so struck by the way you were the collage, the, the creativity you brought into that and <laughs> listening and the way you recorded things on that was really beautiful and a gift. So uh, it's sweet to, mm-hmm. to think about that earlier today and how we first met. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was part of that list, a listening series um, was part of the work of Ubuntu and mm-hmm. Uh, women of color survivor-led coalition to end gendered violence and replace it with sustainable transformative love. And yeah, you were one of the people that I was like, I must listen to this person. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I think you're so much a part of that vision. So thank you for saying yes. I did. Mm-hmm. I forgot that you interviewed me first. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how it happened, and here we are. <laughs> And that was a long, long time ago, although I definitely still hold that vision for the world and know that you do as well in so many ways. And I would love for you to share some, I think a lot of folks listening will know exactly who you are. I was in a space the other day and your name came up. I was facilitating and someone had one of your collages as their background on zoom. And so oh, wow. talked about you and put the link to undrowned in the, in the chat. I was like, I have it right here. And so you come up in a lot of spaces. I'm in your energy and spirit and your, your work. So I'd love for you to share some about who you are, what it is you do, however you want to answer. Yes. Kindred spirit. Um, I'm Alexis Pauline Gums. I am here on ancestral assignment. My purpose is to connect all the love to all the love. It's all love. And I do that as a Black feminist writer and educator and creator of ceremony and queer troublemaker and as you said, the, my most recent book is called Undrowned, Black Feminist Lessons for Marine Mammals. And right now I'm, I'm writing a biography of the eternal life of Audre Lorde. Audre Lorde is a force, a force in the universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking, it, as I was preparing, I was also thinking about ancestors and wondered if, and you've already called in some ancestors, there are any ancestors you want to call into the space? Yes. You know, I'm thinking about my Nana, Joyce McKenzie. She's one of my ancestors, but she's a living person. And I'm thinking about her because I, I traveled to England today. And part of my journey, it was a, I was on a plane. I was on multiple trains. One of the trains, kind of part of the journey, I was looking at the shoreline and the ocean and like what the Atlantic looked like from this part of England. And I was just thinking about my grandmother and her multiple migrations. And it's such a big part, you know, of my relationship to the ocean, my relationship to space, what my life itself has been because of where she migrated to and from. And she is always paying attention to my my travel and she is praying for me all the time. 
So I think she also calls herself with me. She brings mm-hmm. herself with me and um, I love her. And I'm really grateful that I get to still ask her questions and still listen to her stories. I, it's a huge, huge blessing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for bringing Joyce into the, the space with us, yes. gifting us with, with her and, and her energy and presence here and support sounds like yes um, is there someone you, you would like to bring to the space well um, my grandmother as well um, she transitioned in 2017 her name is Dorothy and she is the ancestor I was with her and when she transitioned and she's the ancestor mm. that she transitioned and showed up right away in this mm. in the air right and everything and I could feel her and had lost people before, but she was right there in this expansive yeah. way all around. And she's always with me and she's on my ancestor altar, which is behind me. And she's just, I love feeling her so closely, even though yeah. she's not here in physical form anymore, but I can feel her every day all the time and sometimes call on her to support me at different times. And she will, she puts her hand on my back energetically. That's how I feel her most of the time. So mm. Dorothy's who I'll call in. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm glad to get to be with her too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Powerful, powerful woman and being for sure. Who definitely influenced mm-hmm. me in so many, no, so many ways and still does. Yes. Yeah. And you, you said you're here on ancestral assignment and and when you were talking about your grandmother, I was thinking about my perception, right. Of, and how I experience you and the work you do. And I want it work may not be the right word. Like the medicine you offer feels more resonant to me and thinking about the ability you have to, in my experience, connect to the past and the present and the future and every, and what you mm-hmm. offer and create. I was like, how does that, how does that happen? Like seeing into the future and and pulling from the past, but also so clearly like presently here embodied. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered if, I don't know if that's your experience of yourself, but I'm curious, like how you would describe that if, you know, how you see yourself and if that, what I said resonates, how does that happen? Like, how do you experience it? Because it's definitely how I experience, again, your medicine. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. It does resonate. I mean, when I hear you say that, I also, I'm also like, that's just what is, right. You know, like the past and the present and the future or the, you know, the cosmic dance floor. My dad talks about the cosmic dance floor. We're all at this party. You know what I mean? Like the ancestors are here. Those are to come are here. Those of us who are literally on the dance floor dancing right now, we're here and we're all, we're all here. I think that that's my understanding of reality. My understanding of reality is that to be profoundly present is to be with the past and the future right now. And I think the way that that happens for me in my life does have to do with being a person who has an intergenerational orientation. It is my most natural state to be with people you know, to be with babies, to be with elders, to be with people all, all between. That is um, my idea of homefulness is that there are 
many generations with us embodied, but also not always embodied. And I'm, I'm listening for that. You know, I'm always listening for that, even when it seems like I'm the only person in the room. So my practices support that, you know, I, I do, when I meditate, I do meditations where I'm specifically inviting seven generations of ancestors to visit. And yeah, I'm so open to, you know, what the future, what the future might have to teach me while I'm sitting here. So yes. And I, I've, I've always been like that. I have, I was the, I was the kid sitting up under my grandparents, asking them all kinds of questions. I was also the kid, like looking the babies in their eyes, like, what do you know? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of intergenerational orientation supports the reality that I believe in, which is, which is a reality that is, it's actually timeless. You know, it, it is inviting us into a form of presence where time is not a barrier between any of the love that's happening. You know, lifetimes are not a barrier. They're just these forms, you know, that can, that, that can be ways that we experience love and they can teach us about what did that look like? What did it look like for that love to move through this particular moment in history? Or what would it, what would it look like given what's possible in the future? Yeah. I was going to ask if you've always been this way or listened in this way or, you know, and it sounds like, yes, um, you've been present to this. I think so. Yeah. My mom, my mom says when I was a, a baby, she would come in the, in the, you know, I would wake up in the morning and I wouldn't cry for my parents. I would just be in there. And she would say, you know, talking to yourself <laughs> or, you know, um, I was just engaged in some kind of energetic conversation that felt like from her perception, like joyful. And I felt comfortable and I felt safe and I was just fully engaged before, um, before anyone else came into the room. And I kind of think it's the same thing I'm, I do when I wake up now. So <laughs> yes, yeah, energetically communicating right. every, everything and everyone, yeah. everyone who's around every being. Yeah. I, um, at the beginning, when you talked about some about who you are and what you do, you mentioned love and you just mentioned love again. And I'm, I'm curious to know what lessons about love you're, you're learning now. And I ask this because I'm thinking about, um, the moment we're in holding the past, present and future too, but the moment we're in and that we've been in and how I'm noticing how much people may not be in touch with love or the practice of collective care. Mm. And and so many folks are, I'm just noticing it on a different scale, I think. Um, And so I'm curious to know, like what, what lessons are coming through about love now at this time? Hmm. I think, you know, in the recent past, I feel like I've been learning a lot about distance and love more specifically because I have, um, I have traveled a lot. I have had a lot of privilege to be able to move across borders and, and be able to fly and visit different people and, you know, be around people I want to be around in the past. And in this lifetime, the time of quarantine was really the first time that I experienced not having access to that, you know, like not having access. If I wanted to go be near someone who I love that I didn't feel that that was a possibility uh, that was accessible to me. And 
that is an experience that many people have had, you know, over time and at this time and due to the, the violence of, of borders. And it's something that, you know, generations of my family have also experienced, but now I've had a personal experience with it and deciding what does it mean to love and care across distance. My mom had the coronavirus early on and was in England and I was in the United States. And the, the feeling that I could not go care for her was, um, it was so challenging and it was very new for me. And um, I had to decide that I could still care for her and see like, what, what, what is that? You know? And so I started, I mean, I live in a time where I could actually be on video phone with her, which is amazing. And, you know, a particular part of being in, in this time technologically, but I did, um, I did Oracle card readings for her. Actually, I started doing Oracle card readings for her every single day. Now it's been almost two years ago and I still am doing that every single day. And it had me think about what is my role in care? If I know that it can happen, how, what's the form that this is possible in, even if it's not the form that I would usually usually have turned to or the actions that I usually think of as how care looked in that particular relationship with my mom. And that's a lesson, you know, that's a lesson that care is not always what I think it is, but it is something that's always possible. You know, I think that even if I didn't live in the era of video phone, I do feel that I could tap into and spiritually care for my mother if that's what I needed mm -hmm. to do, you know, if that's what I needed to learn how to do, you know? Um, right. And so I think about, I think about what you're saying about this time that we're in where I think that there's a lot of carelessness that I see in relationship to coronavirus in relationship to just structures of what it is to be, be together on and as this planet. And I wonder what it would be for all of us to sit with this lesson that it is possible. I mean, another thing that happened to me during the quarantine or that I experienced was, you know, I had never had caring for plants, like as a part mm -hmm. of my home life because of, because I was traveling so much to care for the people. Right. But, um, but I was home and I was home and I was home and I finally did decide to be in a relationship with plants. And I just was like, Oh, I can care for a plant. Like a plant can be better <laughs> because <laughs> of things that I do. You know, it can be like, you know, you, you see it like spring to life because there's more water or because I repotted it and there's more soil. And it's like, doing better. And I, I didn't even realize that I, as a person living in this time, had so believed in the story that as a human being, I'm just having a negative impact on soil. I'm having a negative impact on all living things, you know, that just the small experience of being like, oh, wait, it is possible to be in a regenerative relationship with this small piece of soil or this, you know, these particular plants that are, that are now part of my, my experience of my home. 
And so I, I, I know that that's the case on the scale of our species. I know that it's possible for us to care for each other and for the planet. I think it is just that what we've been told care is and how it works and how it's mediated by money and form of capitalism and how it's devalued as labor have us all in this position where we forget, you know, and because what we, what I thought care was might not actually be accessible to me, then it's like, well, that hurts. So let me just say, I don't care, you know? Um, But instead I think that, and maybe that maybe there's care required to even have, to have this be possible, but what if we could sit with the fact that it is possible? It is possible for me to be in a caring relationship with anyone and with anything. And what does it take? You know, what, what care and support does it take? How collective does it need to be for it to be? Like, what, it, what is the form? There is some form and there's a lot of vulnerability and being like, I don't know, I'm not an expert in it, but just to believe that it's possible and to be looking for, experimenting with, asking about the forms in which it could take place. I think that's what's called for. So I, I know I'm in a lesson about love because it's, it's hard to admit that, you know, I love, there are people I love and I feel like I can't, I don't have uh, control over all the aspects of care that they might need, right? I may not feel like I individually have control over how people, even in the, in the city that I live in, are caring for each other or not by choosing, not choosing to wear masks or, you know, do, do what would be most beneficial to each other health-wise. I don't have control and I can still care. There is vulnerability in that. There is surrender in that. But I think that it's so necessary to still care, even though we don't have control. Yeah. Yeah. So how few things I have control over really, really, really is my biggest lesson of quarantine. Like, like, oh, huh. (laughs) There's so much I don't have any control over. And there's so much I care about so deeply. And there's so much love flowing through. So. Yeah, I want to be with all of that. Thank you so much. Um, I really, it struck me when you said carelessness, like everything you said struck me, but when I heard that, right, as as what I'm feeling and sensing and seeing, experiencing instead of care and what you, what you named about what is possible and um perhaps reframing how we care for one another or remembering or learning new ways of caring for one another. And what you shared made me wonder, I talk a lot about remembering to remember, and it made me wonder what will help us remember because in so many ways, I think it's, it is a remembering like that in my mind, this is what we're doing and, and going back um, in some ways to the wisdom of our ancestors and the planet and the old ones 
and bringing that wisdom forth. Um, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in medicine there about care that's gotten distorted by all these systems that are in the way of, of love. So what, what might help us remember? Mm, I think, I mean, again, that this is why I love the intergenerational scale, because I think that for me, just like looking into the face of a child, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, I, I remember looking into the face of my elders or even just thinking about, you know, like today, just thinking about, okay, I had a particular type of journey that included crossing mm-hmm. an ocean and, you know, all, all these different steps. But my grandmother had a particular kind of journey, you know, that um, I don't, I don't have it as an embodied memory, the experience that she had, but mm-hmm. even to imagine it, you know, it's like, okay, it helps me remember how powerful we are. It helps me remember that it is possible to powerfully do something you've never done before in a situation where you do not have control expertise, even like the slightest idea of what it will be like on the other side of the journey. That was, you know, my grandmother couldn't Google what was it going to be like, right? you know, (laughs) migrating from Jamaica to England. Like she had no sense of it and she moved through that. And when I forget that I'm not only powerful when I'm doing things I've done before or when I'm coming from a place of expertise, that helps me remember thinking about what my, what my ancestors did and experienced and didn't have and didn't experience and the power, the fact that I feel their power constantly, it helps me remember. And then, you know, I love, I love the way, you know, the context of ceremony that you bring of remembering to remember because it, it is a daily practice. So doing, doing an oracle reading for my mother every day, it's like, yeah, that's how I remember that our primary relationship is spiritual. You know, we have a very important physical relationship. She birthed me into this world and our primary relationship is spiritual. And I remember that by engaging spiritually with her and experiencing it again every day. It becomes, we support ourselves to remember when we make practices that actually give us the experience again and again. And so, you know, every week, every week I do a special meditation on my birthday of the week, which is Saturday. And I visit with seven generations going back my maternal line, um, that, that line of, of my birth. And I remember to do that because I do it every Saturday. So it's Saturday. So like, you know, that it's, it's um, I think that it's very supportive of this practice of remembering to keep practicing it. And that has me feel like, you know, like you said about your grandmother and having her right there on the altar as part of that practice of you never get, you never get far away. Like you never get so far away that you really, really forget because it's, it's a part of your daily existence. It's a part of your physical home. And yeah, I think that there's a proximity to memory. There's, um, there's a, a repetition because when you say remember to remember, it could almost be like, you know, remember to brush your teeth. 
I'm saying like, why do you remember to brush your teeth? Well, because you just, you wake up, you do it. You know what I'm saying? Before you go to sleep, you do it. You ate, you do it. You know, like it's just, it's just, um, it's not hard to remember to do that because we build it into our lives and we value it such that we would repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Mm-hmm. That makes me think about ritual, right? It becomes a ritual and remembering is a ritual, right? Yeah. Um, as well as how we come together in, in ceremony and, and why we might come together too. Yeah. Um, and how, and what you said about your, your mom and spirit, and you remember it's a spiritual connection that you have, like, yes, she birthed you and you're in a physical relationship here in physical form. And that there's, it's, it seems like a deep practice of, of remembering your spiritual connection in that way and then practicing Right. And that feels really powerful. I'm thinking about undrowned. Um, it's next to my, it's on my nightstand next to my bed. It stays there. Um, oh, what an honor. It's, it's, um, I mean, I don't particularly, I don't even know if I have words for it. And, and what we were just talking about spirit really made me think about it and your connection to nature and in particular marine mammals and all of the teachings you offered through Undrowned that they offered you, right? And I'm curious to know what that, ex- I mean, you wrote a book about it, but what the experience was like, like what, being that close and that um, reverent is the word that's coming to mind and, and like willing to lean into relationship that deeply. And then you created, you know, something from it for us all. And I'm curious to know what the experience was like being with them, observing, witnessing, learning. Yeah. I mean, in this moment, I'm realizing part of what makes me, you know, so in awe of and so reverent towards and so just desirous to be an apprenticeship to marine mammals is that they remember, they remember to breathe, you know, like they are like so often completely submerged in water. And to me, it's like a physical representation of that, like come up for air and trust yourself to go deep again and come up for air again and trust yourself to go deep again. You know, like that is happening in such an integrated way in the lives of marine mammals. And I just, I want that, you know, (laughs) I want that for myself. I want that for us. And I know that there's something that marine mammals are teaching us about grace and have been teaching us for a very long time. And so my experience of, of physically being near marine mammals is just, it, it is awe. It's like, how is it possible that there are marine mammals? <laughs> you know, like it, it continues, you know, as you said, I've written a whole book about it. It continues to astound me that marine mammals can exist. But that's also how I feel about everyone I'm around, <laughs> you know, like how, how is it? You know, it's, it's miraculous. You know what? We were born, you know, like it's, I never get over it. And yet it's constantly happening. And, you know, it's, it's a shared, um, 
it's a shared context. So I think that what marine mammals help me to remember is that my that my own breath is possible, that I can go deeper than I think I can go, that I'm related to some remarkable beings. And that relationship is powerful. That relationship is something I can always draw on. It's something that can never be taken away. And when I feel isolated, which I'm supposed to feel in capitalism, I remember I'm in relationship. I am related to a blue whale. <laughs> you know, like that is quite literally deep. And that whale is singing so powerfully that another blue whale can hear it across the whole planet. That's happening. And so I might think I'm alone and yet, right? And yet that is um, something that brings me back to the most expansive part of what it is to be alive. And of course, it's not only marine mammals. You know, there's so, there's so many beings, the mountains themselves, the ocean itself, you know, all of that. But for me, the rigor and the practice of saying, I'm going to listen to these sounds that marine mammals make. I'm going to be around marine mammals when I can be. When I'm nowhere near a place where marine mammals live, I'm going to listen to recordings. I'm going to, you know, read and research and study because the basic premise is they are my teachers and they could be our teachers if we allowed ourselves to learn these particular possibilities within ourselves. And, you know, it, another thing about it is that it, there was a long time of daily practice and study that is not what is in Undrowned, that it was important for me to be able to do it for its own sake. And there was a point, and, and I never, I never thought that I was going to write a book about marine mammals. Like that's just not, was not part of my black feminist agenda of things that I was um, thinking I was going to write about. I just knew personally that I needed to be in relationship and learning from marine mammals. And there just came a point. And I think that this, you know, I'm so excited, you know, cause I feel like this is the trajectory of, of your work, you know, of going from, this is what I need deeply for myself. And then oh, it's the same thing. <laughs> you know, th this is actually part of a collective ceremony that I'm playing a particular role in, but it always was a collective ceremony. You know, I just, this was my process of actually being able to take on my own role in it. And that's how I feel about Undrowned. And it's interesting because I remember the day, the it was the day before Mother's Day. And I had been writing, you know, I'd been writing about lessons from different marine mammals and, you know, seals and everybody. But I wrote something about the hooded seal and I was like, oh, this isn't just for me. This is, you know, the hooded seal gets, gets what she needs from the milk fat, rich, rich, rich milk of her mother in like such a short amount of time and then can travel all over the world. And she has what she needs. And I was like, okay, no, there's other people who the day before Mother's Day need to know and remember that. And the hooded seal reminded me of it, but it's now my job to remind us of, of it, you know, of that, of that lesson in the lives of, of those seals. So, 
so yeah, that's, I mean, those are some things I can say about that experience. It's still, it's still the case. I mean, what if it was like that, Michelle? You know, like, I think that sometimes it is like me getting to see you is like, this is awesome, you know, cause like often we know we're just in the ocean of what we're doing and I know that we're connected and, you know, I love, I love, I benefit from everything that you create and I absolutely feel connected, but when we actually get to see each other, it's like a whale has breached, you know, like you can, you can just be at the ocean for however long. And when a marine mammal comes to the surface and you can witness that it's miraculous. And like, what if every time we interacted with somebody within our species, our so-called species, what if it was like that? Like, whoa, here you are existing in a form where I can witness you. That is like, how likely is that? It's not that likely. And I know there's something I can learn that I would not learn otherwise from the fact that you are perceptible to me in some way, being yourself Mm. in this moment. There's so much um, wonder in your sharing about, I mean, everything. And it makes me think about you being a child and like talking, connecting energetically. It's like that. (laughs) But wonder and, and um, <laughs> right. yeah, and how you described your study of the, of the marine mammals and also relationship with and connecting that to, to everyone and that we're in the ocean. And then there are these points where we come together or we remember we're not alone. Um, I'm like smiling really big or the whole time I was listening to you because it, I don't know, it really <laughs> brought you, it like made me feel joyful, I think, in listening to this way we could relate to each other and everyone. It's like, oh, so it's, it's just helpful and nice to he- hear it, right? It's like, I know this somewhere and I'm being reminded of it right now, which is so interesting because I asked a question about remembering and like you're helping me remember and feel into that. And so thank you. <laughs> right. um, and I think I, I know, um, I wanna take a little time to talk about stardust and salt you to share about it or if there's something else you want to share about, but I want to make sure to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it continues, you know, along this theme of practice and stardust and salt. I mean, that's the thing. So I, so I created this kind of practice space for people who are understanding their creativity as a practice and thinking about how, what are their daily practices? What is their relationship to daily practice? Um, I think that sometimes people have guilt, you know, around like, what are they doing, not doing every day? And, you know, what are the things that they want to do more and, and all of that. And I came to this point in my practice where, you know, my practice had, had been this daily study of marine mammals. And then again, quarantine (laughs) happened and I was inside. And of course I can still read about marine mammals and I still constantly do, but I was just looking at the sky out of my window is what I was doing every day. And I was learning more about the stars and I was blessed to have access to amazing stories that, that people have have collected and studied that people have done about the um, Arawak and Carib, which are which are indigenous groups in my ancestry of the Caribbean, 
what were their stories about the stars? What were the constellations that they, that they knew and that they, that reminded them to remember? Because that's the thing. It's like this constellation comes and it's like, yeah, now it's time to plant this. You know, mm-hmm. this constellation comes like, okay, we do a particular mm-hmm. ceremony for our ancestors now, right? So it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a notification right. in the sky, right? Um, on the scale of the grand screen of the sky. And all that is to say, I was, I was really at that place of stardust and salt and, and understanding that there's something about the routine of every day and then the infinity of creative practice that I wanted to bring together so we can practice that together. And so it's, it's a 10 day practice, but you can do it as many times as you want. People like do it over and over again. There's three components to every day. So some people do it as a 30 day practice, which I think is really cool. And there's, there's star information in there. There's marine mammal meditations in there. And then there's, there's journaling activities that are really about what is your relationship to practice. And you get to choose a practice that you want to engage for that 10 days to be kind of your, your space, your lab of experiment about how practice shows up for you and what you notice about your relationship to a practice that you are committed to. And yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful to, you know, cause people can share, you know, some of the things that come out of the activities. I love when people do that. And so it's been really cool to see what's come out of it. And actually I just this week started to make available for people who are, who are, have done or are doing the Stardust and Salt practice to have one-on-one sessions. And, you know, I joke, it's cause like, it's just my height of nosiness. I'm like, what are you practicing? <laughs> let's, let's talk about it one-on-one, but it's also, I mean, it's also come out of people, people have requested that. And, but yeah, I'm so curious, you know, like I'm so curious mm-hmm. about what people are practicing and I'm so excited to be able to be supportive specifically to what, what folks are, are doing. So yeah, that was the thing when, um, when you asked like, what would be something that you would like to share with the listeners? I was like, oh yeah, I would love, I would love to share that because it's provided so much for me and, and it's in lineage with my teachers. You know, when I, I know for a fact there was like, before I had a daily writing practice And there was when I got my daily writing practice and it was because of Zelda Lockhart and she, you know, I, I took her women's writing intensive and I was able to work through what I needed to work through in relationship to practice such that I have written every single day since then. And that's, I mean, I think that's more than seven years ago Um, and everything comes out of practice. You know, I, I now realize what my life is, is what I do repetitively as practice. And it just thrills me, you know, to be able to support people in that way and to just play in that zone, because that is so powerful. You know, that like our repetitive actions, those are poems within themselves. And they really do create lives and worlds and possibilities that are in a sense so accessible 
because it's like you could do it every day and it's not an overwhelming thing. You do a little piece of something every day, but then it's also so expansive and infinite and, you know, brings this huge possibility into, into life. So yeah, I'm obviously I'm just, I'm just into it. And so I was like, yeah, I'd love to share, share about that. And, um, if folks want to join in that practice, that just thrills me. And people can find out about that on your, through your website. They can. Yeah. So yeah, if you go to alexispauline.com, you'll see it like kind of at the top in the corner, like Stardust and Salt practice with us. And um, yeah, then, then all the other options around it are in there. Yeah. What you said about practice also made me think about what we were talking about related to ritual and ceremony. And it's this, like, it's yeah. the same, same, same. Yes. That's how I felt in it. And and working through what you needed to work through to then write for every day for seven years, you know, that's that devotion and commitment. And I want to thank you for being you. I always say this to people and I mean it, thank you for being you in this <laughs> incarnation of who you are at this time. I'm so glad we're like on the planet and in the ocean and the ether and all of it together. Yeah. Um, and feel really grateful, deeply grateful um, and thankful for everything you birth for us, right? Or we birth together, given how we talked about it. So thank you for, after a long day of travel, for um, <laughs> saying yes to being in conversation here today. Yeah. Thank you for being you and making this possible and just opening so much space for, for love. You know, I think, I think about your work with finding refuge and it's like you exemplify and continue to make it possible for us to feel safe enough to experience the love that is there. And I'm so grateful to you. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of this miracle. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So, as you all may know, I have a new book out, Finding Refuge, Heart Work for Healing Collective Grief, published by Shambhala Publications. It was published on July 13th, 2021, and can be found anywhere where books are sold. Along with the book, you can join me for some offerings focused on finding refuge and focused on collective grief, ritual, and processing trauma, allowing it to move through so that we can get free. We'll explore the connection between grief and liberation. You can support the podcast Finding Refuge by telling your friends about it and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, skill in action. I offer monthly Dharma talks, rituals, meditations, or movement practices. I hope you join me there. Take care. Be well, friends. Mm -hmm.